We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast. I am your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we bring you a new podcast Wednesday night, December 21st. 2022 and there's quite a bit to discuss we're gonna be talking about andrew benatendi again as jim wrote a very insightful column about maybe seeing more home runs from andrew benatendi as he switches his home ballpark to guarantee rate field for the next five years the biggest news in major league baseball maybe the biggest news in the offseason is the carlos correa sweepstakes correa Now not signing with the San Francisco Giants after there was something about his physical. And he is now a New York Met. Of course, he's a New York Met. As the Mets (laughs) continue to spend way beyond any other team's means uh, in this offseason. We'll talk about that move. And now the Mets are targeting the next player they want to add to their super team. And that is White Sox closer Liam Hendricks. We'll explore that possible trade idea. And speaking of trade ideas, we have a lot of trade ideas from our Twitter followers that we are going to discuss towards the end of the show. That'll be very fun before we head into the holiday weekend. And while you're watching this or listening to this particular episode, we all hope that you have a wonderful holiday weekend. And Jim, I know yours kind of got interrupted as far as plans, because for those that are listening in the Midwest, especially in Chicago, Uh, While you are listening to this, it's probably going to be snowing or the temperature is going to drop drastically in the Chicagoland area where we could see wind chills as low as negative 30 degrees. And uh, I'm sorry, man. It's kind of a bummer for you that your holiday uh, travel plans got interrupted. Yeah, it's uh, I was watching Thursday uh, on the weather forecast throughout the week and seemed like, oh, just gonna be some overnight snow or some evening snow and it gets cold, but you know, we can deal with that. But then talking about wind, talking about like freezing situations in Kentucky and Tennessee and thinking about driving through that in central Illinois with a one year old uh, didn't sound all that uh, uh, 
all that smart of an idea. So I think, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're from Tennessee, but we're not heading home for uh, pumpkin pie, uh, this holiday <laughs> season, we will be, uh, staying home. So unfortunately, uh, yeah, we'll not be able to partake in any of the Chicago festivities, but alas, uh, at least we should be safe. So that's all always good. Live to fight another Christmas. Yes. Uh, I think even our Christmas plans could be interrupted, even though we're in Chicago, we're not going to be traveling very far just out to the suburbs, but we'll see what happens Thursday and Friday. And if you are at home, stuck at home because of the weather, listening to this podcast or watching the podcast on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. Thank you. Hopefully we'll be entertaining for you in the next few minutes as we talk some baseball, uh, one promotional item on Thursday, December 22nd at 9 PM central time, our friends from the one Oh eight, will be having their Festivus show where they're going to have a lot of different personalities that cover the Chicago White Sox. We'll be joining them to share their grievances. If you remember that very funny Seinfeld episode, uh, I will be joining them around 9 p.m. Central time on Thursday night, December 22nd. Again, you can watch that on youtube.com slash from the 108. And uh, yeah, I've got a list of grievances, Jim. Not, not against you. you. That's, <laughs> that's so unlike you. <laughs> right? I never complain about anything. <laughs> At least uh, Zach Collins doesn't have to hear it anymore. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, but again, that will be on Thursday night at 9 p.m. Central Time. If you can't watch the live stream, it'll be on their YouTube channel at youtube.com slash from the 108. All right. So let's talk about some baseball. And I really enjoyed your latest column about Andrew Benatendi. And I know that when it comes to the news cycle for the Chicago White Sox, it's a lot of Andrew Benatendi, but it is December. There's not much going on with the White Sox right now. We'll get to the trade rumors in a moment, but what was really insightful, what I took away from your Andrew Benatendi piece, Jim, was that even though he hit five home runs, last year and in the previous season he had 17 maybe a slight adjustment in his offensive approach and white Sox fans could see more home runs or at least more extra bases from ben attendee in this five-year contract that he signed with the white Sox. yeah it's uh you know i, I think they would call them barely homers or i forget what the stat cast term is you know the the just cleared or you know the opposite of no doubt home runs seems like Benintendi's power is on the fringe of that and in a park like uh Kauffman stadium where the alleys get deep in a hurry like it's 330 to the corners but then they kind of pitch out uh and, and get deep by the traditional power alleys 387 and the you know, 410 in center field like a lot of balls that were hit well triple digits exit velocity were caught in the warning track or, or were wall balls and in guaranteed right field, uh, those go over the fence. Those sneak over into the first couple of rows. Those go into the craft cave. Those go into the White Sox bullpen. Uh, it does seem like, you know, his opposite field power, StatCast might be overstating how many of those balls get over the wall because looking at similar launch angles and exit velocities, which is what I did to see, like, where these balls end up, a lot of the opposite field uh, power hit by lefties the kind of power that Benintendi has, like 97 to 99 uh, miles per hour exit velocity, 
tends to end up on the warning track as well, at least of the new baseball or the most recent baseball. We'll see what the actual baseball for uh, 2023 is and how that plays. But if it's more of the same, then I wouldn't count on Benintendi getting a whole lot of homers to left field. Uh, but he should be rewarded definitely to the pole field. And this will be his first time playing in a park where it actually rewards a hitter, a left-handed hitter to pull the ball because in Fenway, there's not a whole lot there unless he can sneak it inside the pesky pole. And in Kauffman Stadium, there's no real benefit to pulling the ball in either direction unless you have power to do so. So if you have the fringe power, like Ben Attendee does, like he's better off going all fields, hitting for average, and then like getting the homers where he may. This is like the first time where he's actually has a has an opportunity to eat. And I guess we'll see like whether he can. Um, you know, sometimes when it comes like pulling the ball in the air, that's a skill that not everybody has. Like I'm thinking like, you know, with the White Sox. Um, probably, probably the guy I think who best embodies that to me in, in recent White Sox history was Jordan Danks. Like, pretty swing, decent hit tool, could play some defense. Uh, if only he could pull the ball in the air, but he really couldn't. Like, aside from some mistakes that yeah, the Reddick done moo. Uh, <laughs> that was a that was a hanger that he, he socked out. But otherwise, like velocity couldn't turn it around, and so like he had to settle for like the opposite field flares and just the uh, medium contact that died in left fielder's gloves. And so he just didn't have that extra pop to stick in the major leagues in any kind of meaningful role. So I think that's, you know, Ben and has proven that he's a major league outfielder. So he's not that, but in terms of like hitting the ball in the air as a skill, like repeatedly against velocity, I think is something he has to show and he hasn't yet. So I have an open mind, but I'm also not counting on him doing that just because uh, he has to show he can do it and not everybody can. Yeah. One of the graphics that you put up in the piece that I think is really relevant and really eye-opening is just comparing the amount of home runs that Ben Attendee hit in the past years and what that could have translated if he was with the Chicago White Sox. Like in 2021, he had 17 home runs. That's pretty good. That would have been 29 with the White Sox. Okay, that, well, that's, that's game that's if every game Every game is played at guaranteed rate field. Yes. So not with the White Sox and their you know, normal 162-game schedule, but in a world where all the games are played in guaranteed rate field. But Ben Attendee in 2021, though, if you go to the column on SoxMachine.com or if you're watching this on YouTube with the graphic up, he would have seen increases across the American League. Mm -hmm. So if he was with the White Sox, I think it's safe to assume that he would have hit more than 17 home runs in 2021. Maybe he exceeds 20 home runs for the first time since 2017. And I think he would have hit more than five in 2022. <laughs> uh, I, I'm pretty confident in that. So I'm putting down Andrew Benatendi after reading your column, Jim. I'm super convinced and uh, that he's going to hit more than 16 home runs with the White Sox, uh, thanks to your column. And I'll hold you to that. If he doesn't hit more than 16 home runs, I, I, I'm kidding. Uh, but you mentioned as far as like the spray charts and be, the ability to hit the ball in air. And while you released this column on SoxMachine.com, James Fegan of The Athletic also wrote about Andrew Benatendi. And Andrew Benatendi's in kind of your neck of the woods around Nashville. Yep. Uh, yeah. It's, is that in Nashville? It's Antioch. So it's basically borders Nashville. So basically like Cicero or um, I'm trying to think what it'd be. Uh, Evanston or something like that. Just okay. um, yeah, right across the border from uh, Nashville itself. Got it. So it's not Nashville. If you are treating Nashville like Chicago, it's yeah. really uh, yeah. not Nashville. Yeah, if you care to do so. <laughs> 
one quote that caught my attention as Andrew Benatendi is working with Michael Coleman, former major leaguer, uh, who runs the M3 baseball training facility down in Tennessee, and he works with Mookie Betts, so quite the client uh, to work with. And what Coleman said was, quote, you're trying to get the ball in the air. You hit the ball on the ground, you're out. Infielders are just so good right now that grounders are easy outs. And I, I agree with Michael Coleman. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I am very much hashtag ball in air. And I think that is a focus that the White Sox need to continue to have, especially hitting at home at Guarantee Rate Field, where it's very hitter friendly, in which, especially in the home run end, uh, and the way that we have seen home run fly ball rates from the White Sox in previous years, infield flies don't help. And I know that a lot of White Sox fans got frustrated with the amount of fly balls that died of the warning track, but I still think it's a worthwhile strategy for all White Sox hitters to continue putting the ball in air. And looking at Andrew Benatendi's batted ball data on Baseball Savant, he's not that different from like league average with ground ball rate. Like it's not alarming, Jim. In 2022, is 43.8%, and league average is right around 45%. Uh, so he's slightly below league average. In 2021, he was at 39.5%. I think that's more ideal based on the elite hitters right now, especially the power hitters. They are in the 30s when it comes to ground ball rate because they're hitting more fly balls and they're hitting more line drives, which I think every hitter, professional hitter would tell you, I would love the line drive percentage to be the highest percentage because then you're getting really ideal launch angles and exit velocities. Uh, and you're you're helping out as far as the amount of barrels that you're hitting or hard hit contact, which again is more than 95 mile per hour exit velocity. But as you alluded to just recently is that it's not easy to pull the ball in the air. And in 2022, Ben Attendee saw a 7% drop in the percentage of balls pulled in which he had a 36% in 2021 and that dropped to 29%. And where those balls ended up going was more straight up the middle. 41% of the batted balls for Andrew Benatendi went into center field and he hit more opposite field balls, 30% to opposite field than to the pull side. What does this all mean? I think when we start watching Andrew Benatendi early and the conversations we have when we get the first glimpses of Andrew Benatendi down in Glendale, Arizona, working out in spring training, is the percentage of the amount of balls that he's pulling, especially pulling in the air. Because as you alluded to with your research, Jim, and the James Fegan speaking to Michael Coleman, who's working with Andrew Benatendi this offseason, like that's the goal. The goal is for Andrew Benatendi to hit the ball in the air to the pull side. And as we know, at guarantee Ray field, if he can accomplish that, we should see more home runs. Yeah. Get into jet stream. That's his so beneficial. Like the uh, Bill James handbook said that it was the friendliest park for left-handed power and the white Sox just have precious little left-handed power. And you know, that was the, one of the challenging things about writing that post and trying to find similarly hit batted balls by lefties because you can't really look at right-handed hitters going to right field in the same way as left-handed hitters going to right field. Cause just the point of contact is different. The spin off the bat is different. So it's just qu not quite the same. So I'm looking for left-handed contact that had, you know, home run launch angle and home run exit velocity. And there aren't many examples at guarantee right field because the white Sox 
are, you know, they, they always represent half the team playing in the games there. <laughs> and it's always a, a struggle, but I was at least able to find some to give myself an idea of like what to expect. And it feels like, you know, with Andrew Benintendi, that uh, given that he's not yet official and given what happened with Carlos Correa, it almost feels like we should just say like, if he signs, <laughs> if he passes the physical, if he, you know, just like... Uh, I, I, I'm a lot more wary about conditional statements uh, ever since uh, Carlos Correa happened. And that is what we call a segue, folks, in the industry. Let's talk about the big news that happened overnight. I went to the bathroom because I'm getting old at three in the morning and <laughs> I checked Twitter and oh my God, Jim, I didn't even know how to react. And after I saw the news from John Heyman, that Correa changes his mind and he signed with the New York Mets. I don't know how to fall back to sleep. Like it's just unfathomable. Carlos Correa is going to be playing third base for the New York Mets. That like that was not in the realm of possibilities before this off season. And all he did, he just lost a year on his contract and some guaranteed dollars. He signs a 12 year contract instead of 13. And those in San Francisco are just devastated. Like, the San Francisco Giants' reaction to this news is very similar to the types of reactions that White Sox fans had when Manny Machado, when it was announced that Manny Machado signed with the San Diego Padres. But they thought they signed him, Jim. Like, Giants mm -hmm. fans thought, Carlos Correa's on our team. And not anymore. So... With this type of, of what happened here with Carlos Correa, does that make it easier on the White Sox with how they handled things with Manny Machado? Well, it makes me wonder if the White Sox actually signed Manny Machado, if they would have been the dog that caught the car. Like if they just would have been, you know, all of a sudden, if they would have done something similar, like tried to find a way out of it, like, oops, uh, we wanted to finish second. Uh, the the classic Jerry Reinsdorf uh, alleged quote about him saying second place is the best place to finish in order to keep tantalizing your fans. Um, like that's the way they conducted themselves during that chase was hoping somebody would outbid them, and then they could you know go back and say like we did our best we could, but we couldn't sacrifice our future for this. But in, if like the Padres never showed up on ch and the White Sox had the best offer, I wonder if they would have done something similar and saying like, Oh, uh, Herm Schneider saw something. I don't know. Uh, that, uh, that just, you know, throws it off. But yeah, I was, I was stunned and, uh, you know, shout out to the veterans committee. Cause that's how I find out. And if you're a member of the veterans committee, uh, $50 a month on, uh, Patreon, uh, you'll get text messages from Josh at 3.22 a.m. Uh, <laughs> saying, when y'all wake up, Chris, deal with the Giants fell through. He just signed with the Mets. Uh, so when I woke up and checked my phone, that's how I found out was a text message from Josh to the group. So uh, Veterans Committee, Patreon.com for more details. Patreon.com slash Socks Machine for more details. What a benefit. Yes. <laughs> Getting text messages from me at 3.22 in the morning. Oh my gosh. All right. So the Mets now have this super team and I have to bring up this tweet that I saw from Jeff Passett of ESPN. And he just listed the off season for the New York Mets. And I know we cover the Chicago white Sox, but this is the talk of everything in major league baseball. It's just the amount of money the New York Mets have s spent. Carlos Correa, 315 million, Brandon Nimmo, 162 million, Edwin Diaz, 102 million. Verlander, 86 million. Senga, 75 million. I forgot they signed him. Old friends, 
Jose Quintana and Omar Narvaez. Uh, Quintana gets 26 million. Narvaez gets 15 million. They signed Adam Adovino to a $14.5 million contract and also old friend David Robertson at $10 million. The total amount and guaranteed contracts the Mets have agreed to in this offseason is $806 million. The luxury tax penalties that they will have to pay is $111 million right now. Luxury tax penalties. That is more than I think six or seven Major League Baseball teams' payroll is. The Mets are spending more in taxes than like the definitely the Pittsburgh Pirates are spending in their payroll. Even the Cleveland Guardians, right? The Guardians are close, I think, to 111 with their additions. Okay. Signing Zanino and Josh Bell. They got to be close because they got the new money to Jose Ramirez. I think they have to be close. But if if the Mets are spending more in luxury tax than the Guardians are in, in the payroll, this harkens back to a conversation that we've had recently that at some point owners are going to start screaming. One owner is a screaming, and it's from a surprise team. And it's the other team in New York, the Yankees. Hal Steinbrenner is now starting to complain about Steve Cohen's spending. I think it's good for baseball. Listen, there's no salary cap. The luxury taxes are to be deterrents for owners from exceeding them because the penalties can get super ridiculous. And this is a great experiment in real time, in real life, of what happens when an owner ignores those penalties and just how harmful those penalties are and weighing the risk and the reward. And the reward is the New York Mets gym have Francisco Lindor and Carlos Correa on one side of the infield. Mm -hmm. Like, holy crap. I can't, I can't think of a better shortstop third base combo in our lifetime. Maybe you want to make the argument about Jeter and A-Rod, but man, I Lindor and Correa are on the same side of the infield. Again, you do not want to hit the ball on the ground against the New York Mets. Yeah, it's like a, a well, I guess, you know, you have the Jeter, A-Rod uh, left side of the infield. Um, right. Well, although defensively, uh, the Mets, what the Mets have is definitely better. Yeah, it's like a, it struck me as like old money and new money. Uh, you know, old money saying, oh, that simply isn't done. <laughs> what the what the Mets are doing. And I think, you know, probably a lot of owners are like that. And given that Jerry Reinsdorf was one of the four uh owners who uh, protested or objected to uh, Steve Cohen buying the Mets, I think for this reason, um, yeah, as we remember that Reinsdorf was trying to shepherd, the, speaking of A-Rod, the uh, A-Rod ownership bid, like he was, he took him under his wing and was trying to get, get him through and, and came up short. But yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating just because it seems like it should be yeah, the Mets should run away with it, but I think in baseball, it's harder to run away with it. You know, like in basketball, you know, if you have like say three stars in your in your starting five, like you can pretty much win fifty five games, and then like you might, you know, if you're the Warriors, you might win uh, seventy three. But like you know, you can just you know win twenty in a row, uh, put everybody behind you. But when it comes to like baseball, like I look at their rotation. 
And that's the thing, like it's a you know, position player, very uh, impressive, like they're infield now, if they don't trade Jeff McNeil, uh, like many White Sox fans are hoping with the Liam Hendricks rumors, which we'll be getting to. But like when you look at their infield, which is Correa, Lindor, McNeil, Alonso, you know, left to right, they, 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 they retain Nemo, uh, they got Armar Narvaez, like they, you know, they just, they've, they've basically improved or shored up every position that they, that needed to. Their pitching staff is a little bit shaky. Like Verlander, you know, Verlander's fine. He's just old. You know, Scherzer's fine. He's just old. And, you know, he got a little bit banged up last year. Sango, we don't know what he's going to do. Quintana, we've seen him be up and down. So it's like they, they are leaving a lot to a pitching staff that, like, isn't necessarily like the standard ingredients for a dominant rotation. You know, starters in their 40s or approaching 40s and, you know, just like, it's, uh, you know, that's that's the kind of the fascinating thing to me is like they should be dominant, but, you know, it needs a well-rounded uh, you know roster to be truly dominant. And I wonder if like pitching wise, if they have the starters necessarily uh, necessary for like six months of dominance. Like I, I, if I'm the Phillies or Braves, I look at that and say like, eh, you know, there's a way in. You just might have to win some slugfests along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Be prepared to score uh, against the New York Mets. And it's baseball. I mean, they're not going 162 and 0. They're probably not going to go 120 and 42. But they were a 101 win team last year. And with the additions that they have made, mm-hmm. I have to imagine they're going to be better than 105 wins. And in the National League East, those three teams, the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, I mean, you could easily have three 90 plus win teams. In that division, sorry to Miami Marlins fans. Uh, I, I know that you guys want that team to take the next step forward, and they haven't made a lot of big additions this offseason. I don't think any. Uh, and Washington Nationals fans, they knew that they were ready for a rebuild, but like for Marlins fans, it's just got to be heartbreaking to see what these three teams have done this offseason. And we've seen the amount of money that the Padres have thrown at their team. and. The Dodgers are kind of going through a little bit of a reload here. So they're waiting on the verdict on Trevor Bauer and the St. Louis Cardinals are very good. Like the national league is a very stacked league. And for those that are not of those six teams, you got an uphill hill to climb this upcoming season. Yeah. Thank goodness for the more balanced schedule. I think if you're like the Marlins or uh, the Brewers or even like the Giants now that they do not have a star acquisition uh, this winter. Another thing I thought about the Giants was like, they, maybe they wanted Aaron Judge. And when Judge didn't pan out, they thought, well, we can still spend the money. And then they thought like, oh, did we really want to spend the money in this guy? Did we only have it approved for Judge? Like that's kind of what I wondered about. Just that they, they had a little bit of buyer's remorse because they were just almost going like through a rebound. Uh, when Judge uh, abandoned mm. them and also uh, uh, screwed you on the Sox Machine free agent pick'em competition, uh, lefty in the lurch there. Uh, that's kind of what struck me is like if Judge signed, would they have found a way out from under that one, or was Judge the one they wanted and they realized that they just didn't have the appetite to spend more than three hundred million dollars for any other player on the market? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know about the cold feet angle. I really haven't put much thought to it. Maybe what they saw in the physical for Correa really did scare them away from the 13 year contract. And they just decided that we're not going to be offering this type of contract anymore. The term sheet is null and void. And then Scott Boris, who is currently, no, I think it's Steve Cohen who's in Hawaii, but Scott Boris calling Steve Cohen in Hawaii and saying, listen, the Giants are 
backing out. Do you want Correa? This is what it's going to be. And Cohen saying, yes, I want Correa. Boom. That's, that's how you shock the baseball world. And now the Mets have Carlos Correa and the San Francisco Giants don't. And it sounds like, you know, paying attention to what's going on in San Francisco, they were hoping that the Giants would land either Aaron Judge or Carlos Correa to help convince Shohei Otani when Otani becomes a free agent next year, that the Giants are not only serious about winning, but also serious about spending cash. And it just seems like that mm-hmm. idea has been completely deflated. So it does, it just doesn't hurt the Giants this year, not keeping Carlos Correa, but it may hurt them next offseason if Otani doesn't consider them a serious contender. Which kind of sucks because I like Otani on the Giants. I just want to see how many balls he puts in the cove. Yeah, that would be great, right? And pitching. Yeah, I mean, like that's one of the, uh, if the White Sox are not going to get him, and of course the White Sox are not going to get him, uh, I think that's the destination I, I think I most like for that reason. Jim's already breaking hearts. We're not even, that's a calendar year away, and Jim is already breaking your hearts about the show Hitani uh, pursuit. Yeah, they're not going to get him. Uh, <laughs> I can't I can't wait for that pursuit. To see how much money's been spent in this offseason, I cannot wait to see how much Shohei Otani makes or see what kind of trade uh, if the Angels are not in a, a good position. But they just signed Brandon Drury. The, the Angels have had a pretty interesting offseason. We'll see if it makes them a better team this upcoming season. But that's the big news. Carlos Correa with the New York Mets. The Mets continue to spend crazy amount of cash. We'll see if the super team method translates into more wins for the Mets during the regular season and more success in the postseason. See if they can win the National League pennant and get themselves back in the World Series. But the New York Mets are also rumored to be calling about White Sox closer Liam Hendricks as their quest in building the super team continues. Could a deal be done between the White Sox and Mets for Hendricks or any other players? We'll discuss possible trades between the White Sox and the Mets. We'll also share some trade ideas from our Twitter followers after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so after talking about Carlos Correa to the New York Mets, the big rumor that involves the Chicago White Sox is that the Mets are pursuing White Sox closer Liam Hendricks about a possible trade. And what's odd about this, Jim, is that, again, as I list, I mentioned the free agents that the Mets have already signed. They signed David Robertson. They signed Adam Adovino. Like, you would think they have enough setup guys because they gave Edwin Diaz, their closer, the biggest contract ever for a closer. More than $100 million over five years to a closer. And yet, here they are. And they're rumored to be talking to the White Sox about Liam Hendricks. We don't know where talks are. We don't know how serious talks are. Maybe the Mets are just kicking the tires and wondering what it would cost to acquire Liam Hendricks. Or maybe talks have progressed far enough that there's actually players being exchanged. We don't know that type of information. But let's just talk about the idea in general. Mm -hmm. Do you see this as a possible fit where the Mets have enough to make it interesting for the White Sox to trade Liam Hendricks? It doesn't seem like a perfect fit now. I think, you know, perhaps if the White Sox hadn't acquired Andrew Benintendi and there was maybe some uncertainty over like how hard they were competing this year or whether they're going to be doing like a a secret retooling uh, just to try to, you know, you know, bridge the gap between uh, you know, contending this year, but also like not being left holding the bag, you know, say if Grandal is gone and Giolito has gone and just all of a sudden they have like all this production and or playing time to replace. I think Giolito production, Grandal playing time and just a roster spot. But, you know, Lance Lynn, depending on what he looks like, he could be, you know, on or off the roster. So, you know, you could see a case where like maybe they get like a Brett Beatty, you know, who's uh, pretty well regarded third base prospect. Um, you know, hasn't yet had major league success, but he's 20 or he'll be 23 uh, next season. Looks pretty good. Like that could be like a, I could see like a Hendricks for Brett Beatty and somebody else, you know, to try to make up the difference. But I think like now if Hendricks is dealt, you know, with the, the fact that, you know, they, they are contending with Ben and in the fold that it looks like they need somebody who produces now, like they can't let, like you know, the the idea uh, of production this year is paramount. So, you know, I, I think uh, Jeff McNeil, who has two years of team control left and is not you know no longer necessary because the uh, Mets have a lot of you know excess infielders, uh, uh, Luis Guillorme, Eduardo Escobar uh, among them. That you know perhaps they could let McNeil go for somebody who gives them a super bullpen because now they have Correa, they have uh, Lindor, they have some positional flexibility in the infield to maybe accommodate Beatty should he like take the next step, you know, me, maybe uh, Korea can play second, uh, you know, and move over there. Like they have some, some moves to make, but I think, you know, McNeil is probably, you know, given that he had like a six win season at second base and is not making all that much, like that would seem like an overpay. So it doesn't seem particularly smart to them, especially since they had Diaz. If they didn't have Edwin Diaz, you know, maybe I could see a case where they'd be desperate for somebody like Hendricks. But I think, now it strikes me as like, well, we have excess infielders. The White Sox need a second baseman. Let's ask high and, you know, maybe scare uh, some National League team that might want to add Hendricks and, and see if we can stir something up here uh, without giving away anybody we care about. But initially, I don't see a great fit for, you know, not only talent, because I think Beatty is close when it comes to Hendricks, uh, just for like big picture talent, but 
uh, for what the White Sox need. Like if they're trading Hendricks, uh, they need to do it to build a lineup that, you know, gives the White Sox pitching staff lead after lead after lead. Like if they end up with a, you know, uh, lineup that's similar because they still have to make sure that Jose Abreu is replaced production wise, that, you know, if they're still no, you know, trying to business a win like games four to three, then losing Hendricks, you know, for somebody like Beatty doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless like they're, they have supreme confidence that Beatty will click. So that's why I don't see, you know, it, it seems like the White Sox would be better off like shopping an offer around because I think teams like the Dodgers, uh, the Phillies maybe uh, have some players who can beat it. The Atlanta Braves, yeah, Braves another team yep. that could be interested. Maybe the New York Yankees. I know they really like Clay Holmes in the back of their bullpen, uh, but there's some injury concerns with Holmes. And uh, you're talking about Mariners. The, the Mariners. Oh, that's another good example. Maybe even the Toronto Blue Jays as well. Like there are teams that are going to be interested in Liam Hendricks. Like it doesn't surprise me the White Sox are receiving phone calls. We've been having this conversation since late October, since my offseason plan project. And pounding the table like this is something the White Sox should do, but I kind of backed away from that after the White Sox spent the amount of years and money on Andrew Benatendi thinking, I don't think it's likely that they're going to be trading Liam Hendricks. Like you've spent this much money, just keep spending money. You're not to the luxury tax threshold yet. You, you have, you could make another 10, $12 million contract go sign another outfielder or throw that money at gene Segura to, to play second base for you uh if you're looking for that immediate need the new york perspective is the white Sox are trying to shed payroll no the white Sox are trying to use the amount, amount of money that liam hendricks is owed for 2023 and even the 2024 season and leverage that into someone that can take care of either second base and or outfield. Like that's what they're trying to do. It's the using Peter to pay Paul type of method of trade. Yeah. And the Mets do have that player. You mentioned it, Jeff McNeil. That's perfect. If I'm sure if the Mets called Rick Hahn and said, Hey, we're willing to move Jeff McNeil for Liam Hendricks. A trade would be done. Jeff McNeil would be the second baseman for the White Sox. And Liam Hendricks is now pitching the eighth inning before Edwin Diaz comes out to the trumpets. And that's a pretty scary thought for a lot of teams in the National League. And it would make both teams better. And uh, money-wise, the Mets would be taking on more salary than the White Sox. We'll see where the arbitration lies for the 2024 season with Jeff McNeil. Uh, but the White Sox would fix second base. But for a Mets perspective, they love Jeff McNeil. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make sense to trade a four plus war type of second baseman for a closer. I totally get that perspective. So you go down the list and then, then I've seen a lot of trade offers where this is the perfect trade offer. James McCann and Edward, Eduardo Escobar for Liam Hendricks. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with just how bad of a trade idea that is one way too much money. Mm -hmm. You didn't listen. The White Sox have budget. <laughs> They're really tight on budget right now. Why would we be adding that type of cash? Uh, McCann's not good anymore. Oh, yeah. You would you would trade like uh, McCann with McNeil in order to like <laughs> save money. Like that's the case. Like just you get McNeil if you take McCann's salary. Like that's how it works. Like he's negative on the ledger. Yes. Uh, Escobar, the writing's on the wall. If you're going to keep McNeil, he's a bench guy. 
he's he's getting paid twice as much as Lurie Garcia to play kind of the same role. Just and maybe the Mets can afford that. Maybe their super utility player gets paid ten million dollars, and you're good with that. You mean Escobar? Escobar, yeah, yeah, yep. So that's that's a terrible trade idea. And, and Beatty, I like Beatty, but I I wonder if that's just like too much value to make a one-on-one trade with the White Sox for Hendricks, like as, from a perspective that, that the pets, the, the Mets would be overpaying for Liam Hendricks, where they could just keep Beatty and AAA, and in case Correa's back barks up, they could quickly call him up, maybe give him DH at-bats throughout the season, have him play left field more. He played a few games in left field in, in AAA, uh, start develop, developing him as an outfielder uh, in case there's an outfield injury. So I could see from a Mets perspective that no on Brett Beatty, no on Jeff McNeil. From a White Sox perspective, no on any type of combination of James McCann and uh, Eduardo Escobar combined in a trade. I just don't think it really works out between the Mets and the White Sox. And I, I, from a yeah. Mets perspective, it could be unfortunate and the, a weird feeling of being told no after you spent all this type of cash <laughs> this offseason. But that's another perspective that I have is if you want to continue to make your bullpen better, there's still relievers out there. Keep spending cash. I think the one thing with the Mets and Beatty is like they traded Jared Kelnick for Edwin Diaz and a whole bunch of other players went and money went, you know, back and forth. Robinson Cano was there. Jay Bruce is there. But like it was really like Kelnick for Diaz was at the heart of it. And so far, like surprisingly, they've come out ahead. Like Kelnick has not been the player that uh, everybody's thought. I mean, he's got a lot of time left. He's only yeah, 23 and he's in, this is going to be his age 23 season coming up. So like, you know, there's plenty of time for him, but you know, they have not yet gotten burned uh, the way they thought. In fact, like everybody loves Diaz. Now I think Kelnick's an afterthought and that's kind of surprising based on, how it went when that trade went down, although that was in the previous administration. And, uh, uh, you know, that's, that seems like ages ago, probably in, uh, in Mets history, just based on the, the, the whirlwind of activity, uh, the last two seasons probably made it very easy to forget just, you know, all the missteps that happened before in the, uh, late Wilpon and, you know, some of Sandy Allerson's years and the, uh, Brody Van Wagenen, uh, uh, tenure. So yeah, that, that's a long time ago, I think, relatively speaking. So Jim and I both agree the bats don't make a great trade partner for the White Sox unless they do get crazy and they're willing to move Jeff McNeil, which the White Sox should not hesitate if that is even offered for Liam Hendricks. I, I Would you agree, Jim? Would you make that deal instantly if that was offered, if you were Rick Hahn, McNeil for Hendricks straight up? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see a reason not to like, I don't think there are any health issues or anything like that. So I'm looking just to see if there's like any reason to, but I think no, just, you know, maybe you'd like somebody with a few more homers. Like he yeah, had the 23 homer season. Like every time, like somebody has like a, a breakout power season. It's always in 2019. Yeah. Uh, he had 23 homers in 2019. And since then he has hit 20 homers in 320 games. So, you know, that I think is, you know, not going to happen, but yeah, just, down year in 21, but everything else in his ledger has been pretty terrific. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to be uh, 31, you know, age 31 season next year. So seems like fair, like it's it's present, present basically um, what you're looking at. And with the money saved, the money that can be reallocated still. Yeah, I think the White Sox make that pretty easily. Yes, which is why it's probably not going to be offered from the New York Mets. And we get it. Mets fans, if you're watching this or listening to this, we get it. 
we would probably not trade Jeff McNeil type of player either for an elite closer. Like that player plays way more innings that has more impact on 162 game season than an elite closer that is suddenly pitching in the eighth inning in front of another elite closer. So we totally get it. I just wonder like if like these discussions might be whittled down to something like Joe Kelly for Eduardo Escobar or something like that. Like just, you know, uh, you know, go down the list of relievers and infielders until like a fit makes sense. Cause like the White Sox can use some guys in the Mets roster, the, you know, the, maybe the Mets can use somebody in the White Sox bullpen, but maybe not the first two mentioned on each side. I'm glad that you brought that up, Jim, because to end this episode, I want to explore fan trade ideas. So I asked on Twitter, for those that follow us on Twitter, at Sox Machine, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Sox Machine underscore Josh, give me your trade ideas. I didn't say great ideas or your best trade ideas. I was kind of looking for your crazy trade ideas, things that could really get us to, to think about certain situations for the White Sox, and this all happened as well. This request was asked before Correa signed with the Mets, so I'm sure White Sox fans have other ideas. And I'm glad you mentioned the Joe Kelly and Escobar exchange because when I was trying to think of a trade idea after Correa signed and the Liam Hendricks rumor, that is the angle that I was going after was the Joe Kelly hmm. and Eduardo Escobar. However... Joe Kelly's got some really negative trade value to him. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, the whole Joe Kelly, Carlos Correa, like everything would seem happy in the Mets clubhouse. And here's Joe Kelly. <laughs> and they don't like each other. Uh, mm -hmm. So would that be not a good idea from a Mets perspective? But exploring this to sweeten the pot, I don't know if an even exchange would be likely for Joe Kelly and Eduardo Escobar. Maybe the Mets want two players for Escobar because Escobar could still be pretty productive even, even for the White Sox playing every single day. So from a White Sox perspective, I would offer Joe Kelly and Yobert Sanchez in exchange for Escobar. That way the Mets can build up a little bit more in middle infield depth, especially in AAA. The White Sox would either have Romy Gonzalez or Lenin Sosa up the middle uh, in Charlotte at shortstop and second base. So Yobert Sanchez was going to be additional depth anyways, but he's not on the 40-man roster, so I don't think he's got a clear path to the majors. We talked about Jose Rodriguez possibly leaping in the depth chart over Yobert Sanchez. So I'm not even sure if the White Sox really have Yobert Sanchez high in their depth chart right now to be a possibility at second base. And here the Mets get to add to their bullpen. Joe Kelly, proven postseason pitcher, didn't have a good season last year, but that doesn't mean that he's not good anymore. And the White Sox, there you go. That's your second base solution. They add Escobar, which I think would be beneficial. And it's not the first time in recent years that the White Sox have been uh, rumored for a destination for Eduardo Escobar. So Jim, mm -hmm. how do you like my crazy trade idea? Uh, I mean, I like it because I just floated it <laughs> myself <laughs> independently. I didn't know that you were going to make that uh, trade idea, but just, I think like, you know, Graveman is too much, you know, but Kelly is probably too little. Like it's just, you know, unless it's like something like they just, 
think Escobar is going to be overpaid for what they need him for and would be happy to take someone like Jimmy Lambert, you know, who's just under team control and they kind of like his pitch mix and feel like they could do something with him. Like that maybe strikes me as more of the fit for someone like Escobar, uh, especially if they're looking to get out from under salary rather than accept Kelly's. But yeah, the, I think the Korea thing uh, maybe makes that a non-starter, although they did get past the uh, Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil fight. So they, they have worked through some uh, interpersonal dynamics before, and so maybe they can do it again. Hmm, maybe, or maybe that the fighting still continues and McNeil could be on the White Sox, Jim. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm continuing yeah, to do All for it. <laughs> fight, fight, fight. So that's my crazy trade idea. Let's go to some of our friends and their crazy trade ideas. Let's go to our friend down in New Zealand, Shane Harmon. This is a doozy. So his White Sox Mets trade idea. The Mets would be sending over to the White Sox, Escobar and McCann, along with $4.7 million of cash in exchange for Joe Kelly and Lurie Garcia. I, I secretly, Jim, I love this trade idea because it is so chaotic. And there's a part of me that really wants this to happen. Yeah, that seems like uh, the the very start of a paperclip trade, <laughs> like the paperclip project. Like, didn't seem like much at the beginning, but you know, greatness follows me. <laughs> Just uh, that'd be, uh, yeah. Uh, I think the White Sox, like the one team that like would look at McCann and say, like, we can fix this because he's been a mess since he went to New York, and you know, just the McCann. The two years that he spent in Chicago were like were so golden and like pristine and beautiful. Like just, you know, nobody had a problem with him. And like even his weakness, like he was not great at framing. And then all of a sudden he was good at it. And, uh, you know, he couldn't hit right-handed pitching. And he did a little bit better. But then he clobbered left-handed pitching and paired perfectly with Yasmani Grandal. Like uh, everything like, you know, that, he, that might be a weakness, he turned to either a strength or turned to an, like a nice complimentary player. And with like Lucas Giolito struggling while McCann's away, like, you know, there's hope there. But yeah, just that's a lot of a lot of maybe terrible catcher on that roster with McCann and Grandal. Like just uh, it won't be what it was. I just love on baseball, the trade value website. Yeah. The total value is equal at negative 14.20. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you have like a, um, you know, as we've seen the White Sox, when you have like a negative three win right fielder and you improve to like a negative one win right fielder, like oh, that's a two win gain. And she's like, oh, I don't know if like <laughs> wins above replacement translates like that at the edges of the scale when somebody's you know that bad and providing so little <laughs> i imagine this is kind of abusing baseball trade values in the same way it'll be like oh i i you know like if, if baseball trade values could speak it'd be like i don't condone this uh, <laughs> i'm like stop hitting yourself baseball trade value like <laughs> i it's kind of how it feels shane i love this trade idea yeah i, I hope it happens because i will spend five minutes laughing at 3.30 in the morning, texting and what just happened to the Veterans Committee. <laughs> I can't wait. It's so perverted. I think that's the word, the word to describe this trade is perverted. <laughs> I, I hope it happens. Uh, but Shane, thanks so much for your trade idea. Our next trade idea comes from Rob. And uh, this is an interesting one. Not with the Mets, but another New York team, the Yankees. And what Rob is pitching is sending Jose, Jose Rodriguez and Norhe Vera to the Yankees in exchange for Glaber Torres. How do you feel about this particular trade idea, Jim? 
it feels it's interesting at first i didn't like it for from the yankee standpoint and then i thought like well i don't know if i necessarily like that from the white Sox standpoint so i guess that kind of makes it fair um the thing is like you know rodriguez coming off the 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 broken hammet which you know he should get past but you know has to prove it vera like you know he missed part of the year or missed the start of the year and then like his velocity was up and then down had some walk problems later in the year so like they'd be selling low on Vera and kind of low on, I think temporarily low on Rodriguez, I think right now. And is that enough for somebody like Torres? Although Torres is somebody who's going to be like more expensive and maybe getting overpaid now because uh, Camden Yards uh, dropped back its left field uh, 30 feet and all of a sudden you can't hit uh, 15 of his uh, homers uh, against the Orioles anymore uh, that, you know, he's right now more of an ordinary second baseman who might be paid something closer to star money. So like I get it. Uh, and I like, you know, the idea of Torres is fit for the White Sox. And I saw like Hendricks being floated as like, you know, a, it, what do you think of Hendricks for Torres straight up basically, or more or less in the off season plan project. And I think that's probably, yeah, I think the future value that Rodriguez and Vera might provide probably isn't enough for the Yankees, uh, you know, punching a hole in their roster just because they are, you know, they would be buying low on both players versus having somebody who might be able to step in in a roster spot by the end of the year. Yeah, the the Yankees are trying to move Josh Donaldson. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, and they're also trying to move Aaron Hicks. Yeah. Good luck again. I mean, they're, they're in the kind of the same situation as the Mets trying to now move Escobar or James McCann, at least like the Yankees trying to move Josh Donaldson is the same position as the Mets trying to move James McCann. Yeah. Like good luck. I it's saw a happening. super cut on Twitter of uh bat flips of Josh Donaldson fly balls that didn't clear the wall. Uh, it's, it was a worthwhile <laughs> minute and a half. I think it was, it was that, you know, I, I didn't turn it off. I looped it again. Actually, like when it replayed, <laughs> I watched you know, another 20 seconds of it. All right, so let's get really crazy here. And we got this trade idea from Carlos. And Carlos is pitching the White Sox get Manny Machado and Jake Cronenworth from San Diego. And the Padres get Colson Montgomery, Andrew Vaughn, Jake Berger, and Yolki Cespedes. And the reason behind it, Carlos wrote to us, is that the Padres play Berger at third base until Colson Montgomery is ready. Vaughn is an immediate upgrade at first base. Not quite sure about that. The White Sox get Machado for one year before he opts out, and Cronenworth is at second base, and they could try to move Makata in a bad money swap. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. Out of all the trade ideas, this may be the, the craziest one. So how do you feel about this uh, trade with the Padres, Jim? Uh, I don't see it uh, from the Padres' perspective. You know, the, the opt-out, I think, is interesting um, just because we saw, like, Nolan Arenado um, opt into his deal uh, with the Cardinals, the remainder of his deal, and, like, maybe he shouldn't <laughs> based on the way, like, everybody else was paying the $300 million contracts going around that he probably could have – I forgot how much money he had left on his Cardinals deal, but – all of a sudden it looked like, oh, the Cardinals got really lucky that, uh, you know, that's, you know, Arenado's side didn't quite gauge the market as hot as it was. So, you know, there is an argument for Machado opting out uh, that that maybe wasn't there before. So I, that's something that like when I first saw, it, I thought like, oh, no way. And then, you know, for Machado, if you're thinking one year, um, you know, maybe, but just I don't quite get why the White Sox would want Machado just for one year. Like the, if they're trading Montgomery and Vaughn, uh, they would have to have more 
bridge the gap so they don't have to go into a lengthy rebuild uh, the next time around. So that's, you know, if you're counting on him opting out, I don't think it makes, uh, you know, a whole lot of sense from the White Sox side and also like the you know, Padres side, you know, they're loading up for this year. You know, Machado is a big part of it. Cronenworth is a big part of it. Uh, Vaughn, like his all fields power going to Petco. I don't know if that's a great fit. So if he's going to be the instant contributor there, I don't know if he's going to provide the upside that speaking of home run spray charts, you know, going back to the Benintendi discussion up top, like I don't, know if I like what Vaughn's spray chart would look like on deep fly balls at Petco versus guaranteed right field. And the defensive drop off from Manny Machado to Jake Berger at third base, like no offense, Jake Berger. Yeah. Would be dramatic. Yeah. Like much. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the white Sox were zero defensive runs saved despite Yohan Makata having good season, just because of all the damage that uh Berger did in his brief time there. So yeah, it's uh he, he, he plays third base but he doesn't play third base. I get what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Uh, but Carlos, I, I like the, I like the inspiration of trying to get Manny Machado and Jake Cronenworth. I love watching both of those players. Thank you for your crazy trade idea. Uh, next on the list. So Paul Riker tweeted at us a trade with striker to his friends. Yeah. Striker to a striker friends. on socks machine. The, the churn master, the churn master is churning yet again. He wants to send Jonathan Cannon, which the White Sox just drafted, Westcath and Luis Miesis to Oakland for Tony Kemp and Ramon Liriano. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting trade because with Tony Kemp, you can help out at second base. Is he an upgrade over Josh Harrison? I, Kemp had one heck of a series against the White Sox in Oakland. I think he's kind of, I'm going back to, I'm, I'm looking up his player page right now. And looking to see what Loriano did. Like Loriano, if he can still play center, yeah, he still, you know, he p pitches in center. Uh, not good. Yeah, you know, he's a plus right fielder right now, looking at like a uh, you know, well under underwater center fielder, but can play there. That kind of helps the White Sox outfield picture. What they need is a right fielder who can play center if Luis Robert uh, gets banged up, uh, and you kind of have to account for that. Kemp has been like he had a, a great year in 21. He had a good year in 2018, and then he's just kind of like floated around replacement level most other years. Last year, he was kind of like the Yomer Sanchez type uh, type type line of just like play a lot of games and, and get to like one, two wins. So he helps, you know, he's somebody to throw on the uh, throw on the pile of second baseman and towards the top. But yeah, in, in terms of somebody solving the position, if you're looking for somebody to solve it, uh, not quite. But Loriano, I think, is the, the the bigger get in terms of like a better right fielder who blocks Colas for the time being, and then like can maybe move over or help in center along with Colas. Yeah, you know, if you know, he's healthy and productive enough to play there, uh, that makes some sense there. Striker, as always, thank you so much for your trade idea. I know you love the churn, buddy. Uh, this is a this is an interesting trade. But the last trade I wanted to share with you that really caught my attention was from Brando on Twitter, uh, Brando cell. And in their trade, Tampa Bay would receive Colson Montgomery and Tanner McDougal. And the white Sox would receive Brandon Lau and minor league starter Mason Montgomery. So the white Sox would add another starter into what they really need to build up as far as their starting pitching depth. Meanwhile, Tampa Bay receives another middle infielder prospect, another top one prospect, and Tanner McDougal, who is coming off a of Tommy John surgery, but that has not scared away the Rays in the past. 
What do you think about this deal to try to get Brandon Lau to the South side? It's not bad. It's, it strikes me as the deal. Like it's it, the white Sox wouldn't want to pay a whole lot more, but it seems like the kind of deal that other teams could beat because Montgomery is a good prospect. Um, and, and so far hasn't done anything wrong in his career. I think that's kind of a way I put it. Like, uh, if, if I were to say like, you know, like you can do better than Colson Montgomery, it wouldn't be like a, a, a slight on Montgomery just because he's, you know, he's improved in, in basically every way. Like he's sticking at shortstop so far. Uh, the batting eye is good. The power is occasional, but like in terms of like standout tools that project all the way top, like the power isn't quite there yet. And we'll see what the hit tool looks like, you know? So he's not quite like, I think, Teams could beat that for, you know, and then you have McDougal coming off Tommy John surgery. I think he's interesting. And I think the Rays would be interested in him because he's got that, uh, you know, the, the metrics from what we know of his metrics, because he's pitched so little uh, pro ball and even high school, his, his record was limited there, but uh, the White Sox liked him and paid him uh, the bonus money that did, they did in the second day of the draft because of his, the pitch data. And I think the, the Rays would be, uh, you know, also kind of aligned towards that. But like Montgomery, like is kind of like, it strikes me. I think, you know, looking at Montgomery's track record, uh, looking him up right now, he got to uh, the Southern League last year, uh, 11 starts, 54 innings, 53 strikeouts, 2.48 ERA, <laughs> that very stacked, always successful Tampa system that like, it would almost seem like Montgomery for Montgomery would be like equal-ish in trade value. And then it's, you're talking about like McDougal for Lau. And that doesn't make sense. So that's that's why I think it can be beat. Like I think you know Colson Montgomery is better than Mason Montgomery as a prospect, but not distinctly enough so to where like Lau versus McDougal is you know you make up that deficit. Yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays would need to be seriously considering slashing payroll. Yeah, to to make this trade happen. But I like the thinking behind it though, because yeah, the Rays would be interested in Colson Montgomery. The Rays would be interested in, in MacDougall. I'm just wondering if the White Sox have to add more in this particular yeah. trade to get a deal done with the Rays. Or if you, you if you take you can simplify it by taking away Mason Montgomery, because I think like Montgomery and McDougal, Colson Montgomery, I should say, and McDougal for Lau is closer than with the other Montgomery involved. Yeah, but- I like the thinking behind it. I like these targets with these trade ideas. And I know I call them crazy. My my trade idea is crazy. Shane's trade idea is so crazy. Again, I really hope that happens. It, but it's I appreci- demented. <laughs> I agree. I, and I, I say it. that with all, all due respect. Demented with love, Shane. Yes. <laughs> but thank you guys again. We'll we'll do that during the, the offseason again. If the White Sox still haven't made a trade that is more fruitful than the activities uh, that they've had during free agency but that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. And thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And we'll also be cutting highlights of this podcast episode and uploading the full version onto our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. We're inching closer, Jim, to 1,000. Last I checked, we're at 875. So it grows by the day. Thank you guys so much for subscribing to our YouTube channel. If mm-hmm. you haven't done so yet, you can go to youtube.com slash socks machine uh, to subscribe as uh, the milestone that we're aiming for is a thousand as soon as possible. Uh, as long as Twitter still exists, you can follow us on Twitter at socks machine. You can follow me on Twitter at socks machine underscore Josh. 
And the podcast, the audio version of this episode, you can listen to wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoy our work and would like more, you can sign up today at patreon.com slash socks machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more, they get exclusive content, they get every versions of the podcast and website. When we have new socks machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Our veterans committee members get text messages from me at 322 in the morning. So if that entices you <laughs> that you want to be part of that, go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up. Monthly plans start at $2 and you can save with an annual subscription. Great way to, especially with the annual subscriptions with New Year's coming up, you can sign up on New Year's Day with an annual subscription and be taken care of for all of the 2023 season. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.